Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Welcome to this podcast from Two Ways Ministries. I'm Philip Jensen. The love of money, being the root of all kinds of evil, is one of those parts of the Bible that all kinds of people quote, or rather misquote, but do not actually spend the time to, to think through what it could really mean. Money is the root of all kinds of evil, is how people misquote it, but the text is the love of money. The, the passage, it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, the passage is not saying that we shall not be rich, cannot be rich, should not be rich. I mean, later in the same chapter we're told, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Uh, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He doesn't say the rich are to give away their money. He says this is how the rich should live. There's nothing wrong with money itself. But if we desire to be rich, if we have the love of money, we are in dire straits. We are in great difficulties. We're in, in terrible danger because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But what does it mean to love money? How do we, how do we love money? It's not kissing banknotes. It's not like, you know, the old cartoon character Scrooge McDuck, you know, Uncle Scrooge, the Donald Duck's uncle who, who used to dive into great vats of coins, of money. It's... That's not the love of money. That's what is money? What are riches? I mean, money is just power to get things done. But it's a it's a it's a liquid power, it's a transferable power. So because I have money, I can pay people to to clean my to clean my room to to feed me, to cook the food for me, to purchase food for me. I can pay people to clean my car. I can pay people to... What what money does is gives me the power to get things done. And it's liquid in that it can get all kinds of different things done. There's nothing wrong with getting things done. There's nothing wrong with paying people to get things done. But the desire for the power... Well, now that is a real problem for us. Remember, Jesus is confronted by a man who calls upon him to, to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with me. To which Jesus there says, be on your guard against all manner of covetousness. And goes on to tell a parable of the rich fool. You see, Jesus speaks more on money than on most subjects. He warns us in uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the second half of Matthew chapter 6 not to be like the 
the, the Gentiles, the pagans, who run after what they may eat and what they may drink and what they may wear, but who ignore what God's people should be concerned for, God's kingdom and his righteousness. But then Jesus goes on to say, all these other things will be added unto you. Because there's nothing wrong with eating or drinking. In fact, they're fairly essential. And there's nothing wrong with what we wear. It's just these should not be the focus of our lives. Likewise, in Ecclesiastes 4, we're told that all toil and skill in work come from, come from a man's envy of his neighbour. And this also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. Envy, greed, these are problems of the love of money that are all too common and should not be amongst God's people. But yet our world, our society, our culture is driven by this kind of materialism. The political divide, we're in the middle of an election at the moment, the political divide is not a divide at all. Both sides are united in their materialism. One side might be driven by greed and the other side driven by envy, but in the end, materialism is what governs Australian cultural life at the moment. And it affects all manner of kind of life. For example, we've commercialised basically all relationships and activities. You see it as a classic illustration, in, in the issue of sport. Sport used to be a game, used to be a game that we all played. There were representative games, but the people who played in the representative games actually represented us. They were the, the best of the local, the best of the regional area or something, and we supported them because they were us, and we knew them. We, we actually felt that they were part of our society. They used to play the game with us, but now they are representing us. But once sport becomes professionalised, as it, most sports did through the 20th century, once sports become this kind of professionalism, they cease to be a game. They cease to have local representatives. Now they're an entertainment uh, there are uh, some loyalties to them, but the loyalties are ridiculous. They're tribal loyalties rather than local loyalties. I don't need to actually live in a particular area of Sydney to support the regional team from that area. I, I can choose whomever I want to support. I can choose to support teams overseas. I can be a Manchester United supporter or a Liverpool supporter without ever going to Manchester or Liverpool. It's just I like them. And furthermore, as sportsmen or sportswomen, they're employed. And they have no particular necessary loyalty. They sell their abilities to the highest bidder to join which team they might want to join. What we have now is a product, a product which which is important for the advertisers and the media to actually control, and of course very supporting for, for gamblers, because it's a product with 
and the possibility of uncertainty of outcome, which enables people to gamble on it, and therefore gambling becomes the driving force behind it. You must win in order to have more advertising contracts. The motivation for playing has changed completely. They still say they are representing their nation or their state, but frankly, they'll change their representation if someone can offer them a bigger contract to play elsewhere. Loyalty only goes so far when money is the motivation, and the game itself has changed. The rules are changed to make it a more interesting entertainment. The rules are changed so that we play only those nations, for example, which will bring a TV audience. There are other nations which won't bring a TV audience, so we're not interested in playing them. And what time the game is played has to do with when the audience will be able to see them. And so instead of an afternoon or a morning being given over to the community playing games, we now sit and watch them on our TV screens. The players themselves have been transformed by this. Being professional has given them now time to spend all week developing their bodies into being almost superhumans. They're not normal bodies in terms of the local people playing games. These are bodies that have been so pumped full of extraordinary exercise and diets and unfortunately drugs at occasions that they no longer are doing what normal humans can do but only performing at levels that no one without that kind of professional expertise would be able to do and their own lives have been transformed by this the amount of monies they're paid are obscene at the top level of course at the lower levels they can live in certain poverty but at the top levels they are encouraged into a lifestyle but they are now owned. They're owned 24 hours, seven days a week. Their private life is no longer private. What they do, well, that's part of representing their sponsors, representing their their sports, so to speak, representing their entertainment. Their private life has been destroyed by being the slaves of the owners of the particular entertainment they're involved in or were still owned by the sponsors of that entertainment. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? The game has ceased to be the game. We Christians, we live in this world. You can't not live in this world until the Lord calls you. But living in this world, we get caught up in the general rise of materialism. Materialism is the air we breathe in a Western society and so it's very hard to put our finger on our own love of money. My missionary friends who have spent three years at a time in an often third world country, they return and each time they return they notice how our Christians have moved further in the economic rise of materialism. We drive better cars, we live in better houses, we have better clothes and we go to better holidays and 
you you notice it when you're away for several years and then come back, but you don't notice it when the tide is just slowly growing around about you. All relationships are becoming commercialised. Volunteers and volunteerism is in its decline. Recently we had floods and I heard several people interviewed on television complaining that they had to be rescued, not by the professional sources that should have been there doing it, not by the government. They had to be rescued by their neighbours. I don't think I'd want anybody to rescue me more than my neighbour. The person I can trust is the friend that I have. My friends and neighbours rescuing me, I was thought, was a good thing, but apparently this is viewed as a bad thing. (laughs) There are certain forms of commercialised relationships which are always only ever wrong. I spoke recently in this podcast series on gambling, and that's one of them. There's others that's just sad that volunteerism is in decline. I mean, it's wonderful that we can pay organisations to rescue people. It's also really nice when neighbours are concerned for each other and concerned to rescue each other. But then there's other things which are just, well, it's not right, it's not wrong, but it's just part of the changing materialism. So Sunday schools and youth fellowships and more and more being run by professionals, paid Christian workers, rather than just by the local youth groups and the local congregation members. It's not wrong, but yet why do we feel the need to pay for every relationship? It's like the problem of the standard of living. For many years... Christians have been running camps, uh, conferences, house parties, however you would like to call them. And these were great in reaching people with the gospel. These were great in people going away together for a week. But of recent times, we like the body comforts of home. And so conference centres are all having to institute en-suites in every bedroom and reduce the number of beds. No longer are we having our young people in dormitories, but uh, now each room only has a few beds and has an en-suite as well. And so the costs are going up. I was in a country other than Australia a little while ago and I was at a conference which just reminded me what life used to be like. Because you had to bring your own cutlery and crockery in a bag. And at the end of the meals, bowls were put out and you washed up your own cutlery and crockery and then you put it back in your bag and you hung the bag up on the wall ready for the next dinner. Of course, our house parties and conferences are not like that now. Now the washing up is done in machines and the cutlery and crockery is owned by the conference centre, and there are people employed to run the dishwashing and to clean up after us. And gone are the days when you finished your conference by cleaning your room, vacuuming your room, clearing up at the mess that you had made, and and presenting the room clean for the next organisation that was coming into it. Now we just walk out and leave the cleaners to do the cleaning. and But the consequence, of course, is that conferences are becoming so expensive churches can't afford to send the 
people to them. We can't afford to run them. We have big days out at our own home church rather than going away for a weekend because we just can't afford to attend. Uh, You take a family away for the weekend and it's just too expensive. And so we've, well, we cut our own throat by our requirement to grow with the kind of material wealth and prosperity of the community around about us. It's like the the two-income families. They, of course, could always outbid the one-income family, and so housing becomes more and more expensive because every family's got two incomes, and if they haven't, well, they can't afford a house. And so we have people who are now unable to afford housing unless both parents work, and when both parents work, then we pay people to clean and we pay people to raise our children and but because we have more money and less time well we have better holidays we go overseas for holidays and and we have after school activities endless activities for our children all our children have to learn musical instruments all our children have to be coached and trained in all kinds of sporting activities and all our children have to be involved in coaching and are we really any better off but what's the result what's the alternative you you can't stop rising with the world otherwise we'd still all be living in caves (laughs) otherwise well no the rise in the standard of living is not in itself a bad and evil thing But how do we keep a balance on all this? Well, one of the the keys is not to have the negative, we shouldn't be, but to have the positive of what we should be. That is, Jesus says we've got to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. God's kingdom, God's righteousness first. Put that as our priority rather than being concerned about what we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. Eating, drinking, wearing, (laughs) that's all good, but it's secondary. If we don't have something more to life than what we eat, drink, and wear, if we have nothing more to life than the material possessions and enjoyments of those, well then, indeed, we will become slaves to it all. But once you have something more important than the material possessions, then the material possessions start to come into perspective, into the right priority. Another one is generosity. God loves a generous giver. God himself is generous. When the thief is no longer to steal, he's to work with honest hands so that he may have enough to give to those in need. Generosity is a key element of Christian living. To start our, our financial system, our personal financial system, by thinking how we can be generous with whatever we have, whatever we earn, whatever we inherit, to be generous, again, puts material possessions into the right perspective. And thirdly, we're, we're to think of others rather than ourselves. For loving my neighbour comes only after loving God and comes a long time before loving self. And so, again, as I think of my possessions, 
in terms of how I can be helping others, it puts the material possessions in perspective. And finally, the fourth one I'd mention to you is time. Time is actually slightly more valuable than money and possessions. How am I spending my time? You know, hanging around with the kids, doing nothing at home on a Saturday afternoon is really more valuable than taking them, ferrying them from one activity to another, hoping that somehow in these activities we will give them meaning and purpose and abilities and skills and get them ahead of their just spend some time hanging around doing nothing together. That is really valuable and worth much more than money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good things that you give to us. Help us to use them wisely for your kingdom, for your righteousness. Help us to use them generously for the benefit of others. And help us, Father, to value the years that you've given us and the weeks and the time that you've given us to serve others and you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to this new podcast from Philip Jensen and Two Ways Ministries. Philip will be bringing to you new regular episodes on a variety of topics and current issues. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with his latest.